You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Is there anything better than cracking open a cold beer and listening to your favorite podcasts? No, sir. And I'm here to tell you that the beer you should be cracking is one from our new sponsor, Circle Brewing, located in Austin, Texas at 2340 West Breaker Lane, Suite B. You can have a frosty one in their fabulous tap room where lots of seasonal specials await you, or you can get lots of their treats in the bottle or can at your local craft beer retailer. Try their award-winning Alibi Blonde or their diabolically rich Devil Knight Barrel-Aged Stout. They have so many solid choices, and they are the official sponsor of OneOfUs.net. Support Circle Brewing and support us, and we really need your support. There is no site without subscribers, and that depends on you. Please think about becoming a subscriber, because we cannot do this without you. The four different subscription tiers are there to give different flavors of bonus content, but we absolutely need your help, whether you sign up to give 2 5 10 or $25 a month. Don't be one of those people who loves something but won't lift a finger to keep it around. Help one of us and keep those podcasts coming. Hey guys, it's a new era for Deliberations of Doom as we continue with Volume 2, Episode 5, with our our, our, our our new cast members. Of course, Patience and I are still here. I'm still here. We're the stalwarts. You can't get rid of us. <laughs> I'm never leaving. <laughs> this couch is now my home. It kind of is. I think even my wife has said as much as like, I feel like... <laughs> Patience is still. Still, I'm there. just like every time I come out of my room, patience is sitting on the there's, couch. There's a patience resin over the couch. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds she gross. That resin. sounds really <laughs> weird. Yeah, sorry, that does sound weird. sorry. My hus- apologies to her husband. I'm sure there's no patience resin on that. Uh, and then our two newest members. Me, Alan, and myself, Nicholas. <laughs> Their names are actually, it's funny, his name is me, me his Alan. last name is Alan, and his first name is myself. Yeah, it's weird. It's, my parents were, well, both of our parents were pretty strange. <laughs> it's, it's the 60s, don't worry about it. It's a different time. <laughs> uh, so, after much deliberation, what? we decided oh, but that, that we would talk about the something we've been had on the list for a long time to do, which is to do witches. <laughs> Now, I'll admit, oh, sorry. I actually find witches and horror a very controversial topic, and a lot of people still don't address it, because it really was the, the reaction and history throughout... Like, misogynistic, I think is the word you're looking for. Incredibly misogynistic. Yeah. Like, 50,000 people estimated, no matter what Haxon says, Haxon, the movie Haxon, the first one we're talking about, says 8 million. That's wildly incorrect. <laughs> about 50,000 people estimated, but we'll never really know, were, were murdered by... Either crazed town people or touring church people uh, for being suspected witches, which although there were some men in there, it was largely women. And I've always found that a lot of movies treat the subject of witches in a way where it's kind of like, oh, but witches, oh, they're scary and everything. It's like, guys, it, this feels wildly inappropriate on some level. This would be like making a movie where your bad guys were like the Jewish bank conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> but I feel like we actually have kind of a selection of films in here that, that to the, the bulk of it, is kind of balanced. Not really. No, I mean, a lot of them are, though. With like, oh, there are also good witches. There are bad witches in these, but they make a point. No, there's good witches, too. Good witches are nice. We like good witches. Within the context of witch films, I think this is a reasonably balanced list. Yeah. Uh, 
there's definitely some that, you know, that's just a, a topic in which that, like you said, it's always the women that are going to be the bad guys. And yeah. so it's really hard to try to, like, do something different with that. And we've got at least a couple movies that made a strong effort. Yeah, at like, least tried to right. show there is a balance to the Force. That's true. Yeah. I'll, I'll, a, I'll agree it, with that. It was that. a dark time for the Witch Force. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. Now is like the time, like I guess, between Star Wars trilogies when the the you know the Republic <laughs> is doing fine. <laughs> um, all right. So, do we have anything before we actually dive in that we need to? Address? I know uh, we didn't do questions or anything this time because I think that we were all just so busy watching so many movies that we didn't have a chance to post on our our socials but um yeah no let's get right into it let's start are we doing it chronologically we're doing it chronologically i love it you know that makes my ocd happy this has been my habit of late yeah now that we don't have the summers brothers to come up with weird reasons to not do it that way which is so strange (laughs) like let's do it alphabetically reversed (laughs) okay alphabetically but backwards backwards one that we just don't want to throw people off oh so yeah uh we started old school we went old school this time this is like nosferatu Nosferatu old school. Yeah, we're talking nearly a hundred years. It's been nine, what ninety eight years. Yeah, yeah. ninety exactly. Seven yeah, years. talking about the Swedish Danish co production of Haxan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Actually, uh, Bo says it's Hexen. Whatever. Bo yeah. says a lot of things. <laughs> um, he also thinks dogs can't look up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, dogs can look up. Mind blown. <laughs> All right, so this is a movie that, despite its age and despite being a public access film, which was one of those things that it has been for a long time because someone forgot to renew the copyright at one point, um, this was a really celebrated and very controversial movie when it came out. And like I said, the the far-gone age of 1922, it is... A documentary of sorts. It's a silent film with a, with a really good, cool, creepy score, but it was, uh, it was intended to give a whole history of witchcraft. And it, but it goes into some points where it's like, okay, now we're, you know, like, like one of those crime reenactment shows. It's like, now we've got a dramatic presentation of what we think this would have been like. Yeah, it's like a documentary S thing is the excuse for him to finally be like, all right. Now let's get these witches flying, let's get this brew going, and get, like, wild with it. It seems like all this based on that middle part of the movie where he gets to really, like, go nuts with the witchery. Right. Yeah. And I think it's actually balanced really well in the sense that it does tell us things, it gives us information about what people believe, then reenacts what they believed. It also reenacts what was actually happening at the time in incredibly compelling, beautifully filmed sort of way. Like, I felt very moved by this movie. Oh, I thought, I agree. The things I was moved by all the arse kissing. There's yes. a lot of kissing the butt of the devil, who, by the way, was, was played, played by the director. Was played by the director. <laughs> I like, oh, I see how this Oh, works. yeah, I know. He's like, I'm going to use my power as a director to get my it's butt funny, kissed. He also played Jesus. He did. Scene, too. No kidding. In the first scene in the movie. It's a classic, classic director move. Yeah. He's like, I'm the beginning and the end. I am Jesus and Satan. And speaking of the end. Worship me and kiss my butt. <laughs> yeah. So this movie's like in, what, seven parts or something? Uh, uh, yeah. uh, and it, has, so, it has chapter stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. the first one is about the belief system that spawned the superstitions of witches. Like, this is the reason why people believe that witches existed in the first place. And then we have the witch at work, 
where she's like using cat poop <laughs> to make love spells because I what's more romantic than cat poop? Oh. I mean, this is coming out right around Valentine's Day, so ladies, you better get <laughs> that you cat, cat poop. Yeah, it's gonna that's gonna you. get you some love right there. <laughs> and then it goes on. So chapters three through five is what happens to the witches when they're a caught or accused of being witches. Yeah. So that's when it gets pretty fucking dark. It gets really grotesque and disturbing, quite frankly. I like, keep in mind, I I don't know if I go out so right to call this film scary, but it is it is disturbing in that it is a it's not really about trying to scare you about witches. It's trying to scare you about men and how truly fucking terrible they are, and like this whole history of like like you said misogyny yeah. that led to the murder of all these people and the horrific ways in which they did it. And that's the thing that's most fascinating about this movie is that idea alone seems really radical for the time. Like, making, like, Men the right. Villains in the 1922 movie. Like, and it isn't, like, at the forefront, but it's obvious what this movie is doing. It's like, look how stupid and this, like, group of men were over this period of time. Which, I mean, even now would be an interesting take on a movie, but for 1922, it's like, oh my god, I can't believe this was made then. Nobody expects the Inquisition to be <laughs> stupid. <laughs> what I think, and I agree with Alan, because I think this movie is incredibly compassionate to the people that suffered, like, both in the witch hunts and in... Though it's a very flawed modern-day understanding of mental illness, like, it's really compassionate with the people afflicted thereof. Yeah, I love the, well. the last chapter of it, which goes in to say, now we understand that the things we thought were witchcraft were just female hysteria, <laughs> which has also since been totally See, and that's, a single thing. That's so. the thing that I was like, oh, this is great, this is great, oh, this is great, oh, god damn it. Well, it was 1922, that's as best as okay, they were trying. They were so close, <laughs> they were so These close. These women are hysterical there. Horny and yeah, one vote. They're horny <laughs> and in a fugue state because of their, you know, their uterus I, I obviously say, causes us to go insane. They don't actually go into that aspect of it. Like they never discuss the fact that the word hysteria actually comes from the word for you, Latin word for uterus, or or the whole like, oh, they're just sex crazed and we need to put a stop to it. It goes more like, which is actually true the way it worked with all these things that were couched under the definition of female hysteria that, like, it wasn't until a little bit later became, once again, an excuse for misogynist doctors to just blame any time a woman does anything different, oh, they must have hysteria. But realizing they had just couched a whole series yep. of mental illnesses just under this one title, you know. Uh, right. So, and, I mean, we can't forgive them for it being 1922, and they did do a really good job of, like, dispelling all of the, you know, superstitions regarding, like, you know, modern witchcraft, but still, they were so close. Yeah, it was, it's almost frustrating, but like I said, 1922 what you know, I do want to point out, woke for one of my 20s. favorite parts was, and I think that um, Benjamin Christensen, I think this was kind of his fetish, because that, one of the end parts where he tries out all of the torture devices, like, that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, they actually show in more detail than I've ever seen, like, here were all the ways that they tortured people, and right. were like, and sh they have actresses where they, like, have put them into the various things or actors and actresses and show you you know not up to the it doesn't get gory but like here's what was going to happen you're and your mind fills in the rest yeah, you're like yeah. holy shit yeah like seeing <laughs> the images of those devices which we've probably all seen a bunch of times is one thing and then having to just very carefully point out exactly how it'd be used is just like really it's creepy it's way different than watching an old roger corman <laughs> edgar Allan poe film and going like well i mean i don't know if this was real or not i mean 
and then watching, no, we know this is actual illustrations of this stuff being used from that time. This was really what they did to thousands, tens of thousands of people. I was like, holy crap, it's, fuck it's, the church. It's, it's so yeah. <laughs> the, the church was metal as fuck. They're like, like mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Oh, oh my god! Um, yeah, I. So one of the things I think. All right, if go <laughs> sorry, back, I really want to get to the very end of it and how I feel like uh, the last bit that the uh, the director says is really sells it for me. But early in the beginning, one of the parts that really stuck out to me was the medieval understanding of the planets and the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you live in a globe, and that globe's surrounded by fire. And there's eight clear spheres upon which each one is asphyxed, a planet. And then beyond that, there's, what is it, the constellations? Beyond that, yeah. there's God and his nine choirs of angels that keeps all the things It's spinning. really complicated because it's like the stars and other celestial things, they say spin, but they're, but they're like, no, but the constellations don't. And that was like, wait, what? The constellations are fixed? Yeah. What's that bizarre weird. is that actually answers questions you would have because constellations are so far away that they would appear fixed. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a really thorough answer of what is happening in the skies. Completely wrong. But, like, <laughs> yeah. really well, well it's, it's a great way to frame, like, the thinking. Like, how, like, it might be well thought out, but completely wrong. And this kind of frames a way, the same way, like, they're superstitious. Or it's a ridiculous thing. Like, they're, like, magic angels way above the sky orchestrating it all. The same way someone could believe that there's, like, a witch with crazy powers because we don't understand what's happening Exactly. Here. It's a way to explain away, and it, it kind of shows, like, that mind frame of the time, which is interesting. It's a good or the device. Egyptians, all the stars were hanging on fixed threads. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm from a steel sky. <laughs> I, I, I love that stuff. I love it. It was really it was cool. Was. It was really cool looking when in when he recreated it in the movie. Like the actual the, the special effects were quite good. Uh, it was in fact the most expensive Swedish silent film ever made at the time by a sizable margin. Apparently, it was like two million dollars or something. Kroners, yeah, actually. yeah, whatever that translates to. Yeah, but like, plus but time was, plus that. I don't. But know. it was one of those that, like it actually internationally performed extremely well. I mean, it went all over the world, including America. But it was, it was banned here. People eventually, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of talk of people going, how did they do that? And some of the ways they did it were really complicated. I mean, it reminds me, reading about this, when you read about, uh, what's his name, the guy Hugo, the movie Hugo was yeah, about. Um, Malai. Mal- yeah, Malai. yeah. Uh, about how like people took decades before people figured out how he did some of his effects. Because he was a stage magician. Right. And so, so he used those techniques there. And a lot of this reminds me of that. We're like, wow, that's really cool. Like, there was stuff, like, there was one thing where the witches are flying over the town. Mm-hmm. They built an entire two-foot tall scale model of the town and then I can't remember the exact details but apparently the thing with the witches to make it work took 20 men turning a giant wheel. Wow, really? So I have to mention that a moment later they projected that onto I imagine a rear screen screen and put a foreground with a person in front of it so that you could see someone watching them flying. Yeah, it's like one layer after another, and this is 1922. That's really yeah. cool. Amazing. That's and, and, really cool. And not to mention a documentary, right. which you're just like, this is not the type of thing you expect to go into a movie like this. But it seems very clear this director, this topic pissed him off. He was like, somebody needs to say something. 
<laughs> and I get it. I, I think that probably, I don't know for sure, but it seems like maybe there hadn't been any kind of definitive statement of like, and by the way, fuck you, the church. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was definitely an underlying theme, but he was definitely like trying to be like, hey, he never, don't. He never overtly says, because fuck you, church. Because can't. But, but, if- he, but it's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> that, that he was very mad at that system of organized religion that existed that allowed this to happen as well as the rampant massage. Yep. And this movie, amazingly enough, is free. Yeah, you watch on YouTube. Watch it. I mean, it's available in the public domain. Now, there are many different versions of this film that exist. Well, like I recommend many. The, the Criterion, Criterion version. Yes, I've yeah. watched that in high definition and... Oh my god, that transcription. Totally remastered. And the Criterion so version actually has the 68 version, which mm-hmm. is narrated by William S. Barrows. I know. I was like so mad that I didn't just buy and, it to have that. Yeah, I rented it and I watched that version too, and it's really cool. There's like a jazz score. It's to a it. lot shorter. Yeah, John Luke Conti has the score for it. It, it's, it, it moves. It, it's like a, it'd be a cool thing to have like on a party, like See, in the background. It's really cool looking, and the music's really cool. It's it's worth watching. I watched the YouTube version, and I actually had to turn off the soundtrack because it was so Uplifting, like I don't want to hear like a lively Beethoven yeah. score while all these witches are getting the burned to death. score is a little like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like super. It's like, ah, oh, this is a party. And I was like, this is not a party. People are dying right now, so yeah. I just like, turned it off and watched subtitles. At points, though, it gets really creepy. There's yeah. a lot of like, and I wonder because like the original version of the score is lost. Like yeah. no one knows what it exactly was, but five years later. There is a score that exists that people are like, we're pretty sure this is more or less the same score. That makes sense. And so well, Criterion think- got a much smaller chamber orchestra to re-record that original score for the release. And even when you're talking about silent films, original scores may be slightly a misunderstanding. Yeah. There's music cues that orchestras or pianists Why? or like bands would play, but they would take their cue from it and maybe improvise a little bit as they went on. Yeah. So every place you saw it would be slightly different. That makes yeah. sense. And so the remastered score, or the redone score, I should say, was based on uh, original key- music cues from the original performances. That makes so- sense. But if you're looking for a film with lots of scenes of, like, chicks in 20s where kissing the butt of a dude kissing, dressed up like the devil, kissing devil butt. lots of scenes of that in here, uh, which were censored for the American version originally, as were scenes of people trampling on the cross, which, quite frankly was actually kind of startling to see. Not shocking, because I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But, like, me personally, but Within even today, if someone was yeah. to do that in a movie, <clears throat> people would be outraged. They'd yeah. be like, no, you can't show that in a film. Yeah, and I will say this movie, like, it it's it for the, your casual... I mean, I don't think we have a lot of casual horror fans or casual movie fans mm-hmm. to listen to the podcast, but, like, your casual person isn't... It's, an, it's a silent movie from 1922, but if you're, like, hardcore, like, it's really interesting. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. necessarily, like entertaining. You don't want to invite over a bunch of people like, let's have this fun movie night. But it is like an interesting movie if you are interested in like the history of film, history of horror, history of documentaries, like all that type of stuff. It's a great, great movie. Otherwise, it'd be something fun to put on the background at your Halloween party. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the 1960s version. Yeah, William S. Burroughs. The the score really moves it. I really... Like, right after I finished, I was, like, too curious. So I started that version up right up and watched it all the way Which through. Which is considerably shorter yeah. than the other version. It's, like, it's 45 more, yeah. minutes yeah. or something it's, Wow. It's edited, like, for, like, a 60s movie, and it moves a little better than the 1922 movie, maybe. It's, right. Yeah. It's it's good, too. They're both worthwhile. Yeah, I think we all thoroughly recommend checking this out. I, th- I, I feel like 
This is a movie I'm surprised it took me this long to get around to. I've known about it for 10 years. I've just never gotten around to watching it. And just like, glad I finally had this excuse, Deliberations of Doom, to sit and watch Hexen, is what he said? That's what Bo said. It's called Hexen, Hexen. in Swedish. All right. Well, let's move on to our next film, which is the definitely considered to be one of the horror masterpieces of all time. <coughs> 1960s Black Sunday, which is the credited, he said in air quotes, first uh, film directed by Mario Bava, even though Bava, of course, horror legend, uh, w- had actually directed three or four movies before this, but ones where the director rage quit the production. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He took over from in. the cinematography role exactly. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, but the first one that his name was on, <coughs> and in fact, one that he intentionally had complete control over choosing what it was going to be. A lot of times in the studio system back then, it'd be like, you just get, especially for a new director, you're just handed something. This is oh, what yeah. you directed. I read something about it because like he's res- he rescued so many movies mm-hmm. by finishing them. They the were studio. grateful to They him. were just like, all right, man, your next one is like, we got you. Whatever, Whatever you want to do. Yeah. And he picked this Russian folktale uh, <laughs> and said, yeah, I'm going to do this. Even though apparently the movie has very little in common with the folktale, it actually has a lot more in common uh, with, uh, oh shit, now I'm thinking of a different movie, sorry. But, um, it's not really a witch movie. Despite them constantly calling the main character a witch. It's more about vampires. In what way yeah. is this not a vampire film? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, originally she was, they were supposed to have vampire teeth and, um, they found them so uncomfortable that they, and they looked so unrealistic in the editing that they just decided to yeah, fuck they it. They yeah, just they, got rid they, of all of them. They edited around it. Yeah. They, they literally edited around the fakey vampire teeth. And then the main actress, um, Steele, Barbara Steele, she, Barbara yeah. Steele, she was like, I hate these and they are so uncomfortable. I can't wear these and so they just decided to scrap the whole vampire she was, thing. She was also kind of impossible on set. Yeah. But she herself has come out and said, look, I was 18 years old. I did not even know what I was getting she into. She did not movie. like Italian people. Well, she couldn't speak Italian and she was very frustrated that almost no one on the set didn't spoke English. So she was like... And I think that's what Mario Bava said. She didn't like Italian people. I don't think she came out and was like, yeah. I don't like Italian people. Yeah. Mario Bava was like, she didn't like Italian people. Considering that after one American film, she went back and filmed the bulk of her most famous movies in Italy. I think she didn't yeah. have a problem with she her. And then at one better, point, yeah. she was supposed to bare her breasts, and she's like, I'm not doing that. But then the double that they got was not doing it right. She's like, oh, fuck you. I'm going to do it myself then, yeah. because you can't do it yeah, right. she was like, I. not only that, she's also like, also, I just hated that bitch. <laughs> As a typical 18-year-old actress like would be. 18-year-old movie right? star, 60s, it's great. But, uh, Patience, why don't you tell us the plot of Black um, So, basically, it's about this witch who um, is accused of her bro- by her brother of being a witch, which I guess she technically is, so she, her brother wasn't quite wrong. Um, so, they go to burn her alive, and when that the, but a big storm happens, so they're not allowed to burn her alive. So they basically smash her with a nail mask and bury her. And then two doctors come along because they took a shortcut through the woods of well, two like. Two centuries later, should we say? Romania. Two centuries later, after all that first part. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Duh. <laughs> but they just still. Because that was assumed. <laughs> I mean, I, I just figure everybody knows how these movies go. So these two doctors take a shortcut through the woods of, like, a neighboring... It's not Romania, but it's a country close to 
Moldavia. Moldavia or whatever it is. And then they come across, and of course they take off the mask which un- and drop blood. What could go wrong? And unleashes. I, I feel like this is what happens when Chris Cox goes on vacation. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I'm he totally unleashes witches. I, I love that scene where the thing, the guy's freaking out about it being haunted. They wreck. It's like, oh, what's this? It's like, oh, it's the old tomb. A witch is there. You want to go fuck around in there? And the guy's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no essentially, essentially what they say. You know very well you would say the exact same thing. It was like a grave. It was like, let's pop this thing open. So we like, <laughs> like, <laughs> do Instagramming the whole thing. Like, whoa, <laughs> look at me next to this corpse. Oh, dude, look at her face. It's so cool. Oh, is, that, is she coming back alive right now? I'm going to kiss her. It would be really cool, dude, if we, like, cut your finger a little bit and drip blood on your face and took an Instagram photo of that. <laughs> what could go wrong? We're writing the reader. Right now, <laughs> the witch comes back to life. Obviously, we played all knew Barbara that Steele. was going to happen. Played by Barbara Streel, but also she decides that she's going to target her great 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 grandniece, also played by Barbara Steele, mm-hmm. um, and steal her life from her. And um, so she tries to kill her dad. And well, she has a lover. Uh, her husband, which was originally supposed to be her brother. So this was supposed to be an incestuous relationship. Yeah, the original Italian version, yeah. it's strongly insinuated there was an incestuous brother-sister thing, but that does not exist in the English. Not version. in this one. Yeah. And also, there's a, a gory version that we... I did not get the gory version. Oh, mine was. Mine well, was not yeah. the gory version. Well, by gory, I know the opening scene where they hit her with that nail mask and, and a there's blood. Be, yeah, I did not get that. I did not get that version. It was on, on Shudder. See, that makes me sad because I did not watch that. That's the thing, because that's a lot of these old movies, like, there's a lot that translates well. That scene translates. Like one to one hard movie right now. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. gore that scene and the brutalness of it and the blizz course that like it's pretty brutal. It could be a hard movie like right now and people would be like, Oh like that's nasty. And a lot of times the old sixties movies like the gore is like crazy for its time or really scary for its yeah. time. That is like legit gory and like scary and for right there's now. There's a couple different scenes in here that I would say. There's a couple things that hit. Yeah. Like the stake through the eyeball. Oh man, that turned me on so hard. Like, seriously. <laughs> Carlos, is that you? <laughs> I mean, because usually they do it through the heart, but they decided to go straight for the eyeball. And I mean, we're going to talk about eyeballs later in some of our other movies, but this, that was pretty, for 1960, it was pretty graphic, was even without one. the blood. Yeah, I was going to say, I watched it without the extra gore as well, and I found it holds up amazingly. Yeah. Like, I felt like it was really impactful, like, everything that was scary or horrifying was genuinely horrifying. And it, even, like, one of the things I really like is at the beginning, so, Patience mentioned that uh, it's her brother that convicts her of being a witch and yeah. puts her to death. And I like that before she's almost put to death, she also says, yes, I am a witch. So, the, like, right from the very beginning sequence, there's no mysteries about this. This right. is exactly what's happening. There's not like, oh, is it, isn't it? And that's maybe where, what, the Russian folktale it came from? Is that right? Yeah, Russian Russian folktale, or Russian short story, I guess. That right. was also based on a folktale, but yeah, yeah. And sort of that simplicity of folktales I really like a lot sometimes, which sometimes you miss in horror movies, you know, where it's just like, no, these are the bad guys, and this is exactly what's happening. Yeah. yeah. There is definitely no, like, if fans are butts with this movie, you know exactly who the bad guys are and who the good guys are, uh, as opposed to some of our later movies that we're going to talk about. Um, these ones, you're just like, yep, she's a fucking bitch. No, I think just... She wants to eat your face. I mean, to some degree, I don't like that. I like the ambiguity, but there's no denying that this is, like, 
you can see why this was one of the most deeply influential horror films of all time. This was so influential that, in fact, if you watch this and then go watch Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, Coppola was like said this is one of his favorite movies of all time. And there's whole sequences of Bram Stoker's Dracula that are shot-for-shot remakes of scenes from this. I'm not saying that as hyperbole. I mean, literally, shot-for-shot. All the stuff in the opening graveyard, all that stuff. All over. It's so Dracula. apparent too. I was like, "Holy shit! I've seen this movie before." And nope, also, like, it was Dracula. Eighty. It's like eighty percent of until just now. Yep. Yeah, it's like eighty percent of Tim, Bur- Tim Burton movies too. Oh, there's yeah. a little, like, yeah, loves this movie, Burton has obviously. always said this was his favorite movie ever. So, uh, can I just say that the priest from the little village is anyone like concerned with how amazing his hair and beard were? <laughs> like seriously, like he looked like he was walking around Austin for the past ten years. Damn. He looked so. So, I mean, his hair was on. I mean, it was like this beautiful. I'm sorry, fucking but it was hipster priest, fucking hipster priest. <laughs> uh, Barbara Steele herself. There's no wonder she became a big star after that because she's all, she's both sexy and fucking weird looking at the same time. So those chicks like Zoe Kazan, you're like, you're not traditionally beautiful in any sense. You're an odd looking lady, but there's no denying you're. Also really hot. <laughs> well, I'm honest, she's got amazing screen presence. Yeah. Like, when yeah. she first shows up as the the great, 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 whatever, grandniece, and she's got the two, like... Hounds. Hounds, yeah. The hound, hellhounds. Hounds like, so she's not supposed to be a witch at this point, right? Like, no, she's just, like, a normal princess, princess yeah. She looks powerful as fuck, yeah. you know? Like, and with for the, the backlighting. young doctor to fall in love with her at that moment, it's like, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... <laughs> it was yeah. It's like underrated. She's in dual roles. I mean, they're not that wildly different from each other. She didn't get to be the witch of old that much in the movie, but it is still dual roles in the sixties movie. She's really good at playing for those two an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, realizing that she's eighteen, like both aspects of her character were pretty impressive. I, I will say, I feel like it's almost more interesting to study this film and the impact that it had than in the film in and of itself, because this movie has been ripped off so many fucking times. Aspects of it, and in like hundreds of movies, some of which you've never heard of, some of which, like we said, like like uh, um, Dracula, uh, like obviously you have, but man, like uh, recently, apparently, uh, the Anno Dracula series of books, have you heard of those? Um, the, I've read the first one. It wasn't bad. Uh, there, it's a huge series of books, but the third novel is about an arranged marriage between the Barbara Steele character and Count Dracula. It's uh, like, uh, <laughs> it literally brings the Black Sunday universe into the Count Dracula universe, <laughs> cool. okay. which I'm like, it's, it, there's, but like I said, lots and lots of movies. This has come up to, to <laughs> been a big thing. Uh, Sleepy Hollow. Let's face it. Every woman Tim Burton ever dated or had a crush on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was influenced by this movie. It was influenced by this movie or, or his crush. Was anyway. Uh, I didn't realize uh, Lamberto Bava, Mavia Bava's son, actually made a sort of remake of this film. I just I, saw that earlier today, yeah. which I would love to track down. Which was called "As It Often Happens in Italian Films." Uh, it was given a sequel number to a movie it has nothing in common with: <laughs> "Demons Five: The Devil's Oh, jeez, yeah. we're not talking about demons tonight. <laughs> well, the first two demons movies are great. If, which that, ones are you talking about? Are you talking about Demons 1 Demon? or Demons 3? Demons 1 and Demons 2 are both good. Demons 3 is actually that, uh, oh, what is it called? I can't, it's actually, they've re, since given it back its original title, they don't call it Demons 3 anymore, and that's a Lamberto Bava film as well. I is yeah. the first one, is it Night of the Demons? No, 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 no you're that's, that's, that's a yeah, Jacques Tenor We're film. talking okay. about Demoni. Yeah, have you never seen no, I don't know if Lamberto I have seen Oh, dear oh, Lord. You don't. It's so good. 
Patience is saying really. Like, <laughs> no, it's it's Patience like it's heavy. Disgusting. It's heavy metal Italian like gore fest like thing about a bunch it's of like fucking z- awful of of demons slash zombies like fast moving zombies. Uh, tra- we're all trapped in a movie theater and like you start. <laughs> okay. I have seen this. Yeah. Okay. I love that with a motorcycle. Gonna, with yeah. the yeah. If you're gonna watch it, at least watch the Joe Bob Briggs I version of it on demons. Shutter. Everyone loves demons. Oh, it's so terrible. And demons Oh, yeah, that's so good. It's awesome. (laughs) Have you never done that? Um, One of the last things I want to say about Black Sunday that made me super excited was they actually have villagers with pitchforks and torches. And I was just like, finally, my dream has been realized. Also, I want to point out about that ending because, like, obviously this is a full spoiler podcast, but, uh, like... In the beginning, she's like, she's this very powerful witch, and the devil is like, well, here's some rain so they can't burn you alive, right? At the end, it's like, yo, devil, where you at? <laughs> it's like, it's just the same shit again, except this time, no rain. No rain. <laughs> the devil, it's like, um, you know, you lost some traction and belief over the two centuries. Doesn't have quite the power you used to. That could be it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Devil ain't gonna small... come back for them hippies. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I had a small bit with the, the very end of it where, uh, so the witch is being burned alive. And yeah, she's a witch and like, okay, that has to happen. But like people are like cheering about it while inside the building, <laughs> dude's lamenting that his girlfriend's body has been lost to this witch. He's just like, whoa, it's me. This hot girl I was into is no longer available while someone's being burned alive out there while people are cheering around her. Just a little off-putting. Fucking dude. That's actually that's, a good it's really point. Funny. That, that's woman, actually- that, that really hot 18-year-old I met yesterday is gone. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like, and of course the camera's focused on him. Yeah. <laughs> it was like burning screaming in the background. So, can you keep it down out there? I'm mourning. I'm mourning my two-day I've love. Got tragic blue balls. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I was going to say, the film that was credited as Demons 3 that actually is worth seeing is The Church, uh, and it's Michelle Suave, who was basically one, another one of the guys who came up with Dario Argento putting his arm around him going, come on, kid, let me show you the ropes <laughs> who did several very worth watching films anyway uh yeah so how are we all on black sunday overall in terms of uh, you know it, honestly this was probably my favorite movie of the whole group wow, really? i loved it it was super great it was super interesting and you know i don't i'm not really into the well i'm starting to get into the older movies that i haven't watched but this movie was just so profoundly good the effects were good for 1960. The acting was great. The storyline was great. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. It's so gothic-y. Gothic-y mm-hmm. yeah. in exactly the right way. It's just... I love it. The moment they take the stagecoach with the doctor, no, let's go down that road. Stagecoach driver's like, oh, you don't want to go down that road. It's like, yes, we do. This is almost like a prequel to Dracula, to Bram Stoker's Dracula for me. Side story. I mean, if they had kept the, the things and made this a vampire movie instead of a witch movie... Without a doubt, I would call this. But a- with every definition except for the stake burning stuff, this is a vampire movie. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I'll be clear. It's like that's the only way it's not a vampire movie. Yeah. yeah, I do love also. By the way, any movie with se- really cool secret passages inside a big old castle, <laughs> thumbs up for, from Chris. And that's su- my dream home. And super hot priest hair. <laughs> and super hot priest. <laughs> what about hair. you, boys? I'm in agreement. Yeah, go nuts. Uh, yeah, I think it's a. Freaking masterpiece. I do understand, like, so we've maybe seen a bunch of movies that have taken these ideas and tropes and, like, repeated them ad nauseum. But this is, still going back to, like, one of the original sources, 
is genuinely compelling. Like, and it's not just for the historical interest. I felt, you know, like carried along with the story. I was excited about watching this. Yeah. I recommend it highly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much more to say other than like what y'all said. It's really good. Unlike when I was talking about Hacksaw, I guess it says 40 years later. This does hold up in, like, a modern way, essentially. Hackstead is definitely for, like, a hardcore, more interested thing. But you could take a casual horror fan or a casual movie fan and, like, show this to them, and they would get, I think, a lot of value out of it. I, I would argue that this is for the same people of today who are like, oh, I love watching the old Universal classic monster movies. This movies. feels a lot like those movies, except gorier. Yeah, right? it is, not by a wild extent. We're not talking, like, like the later Italian films like Dario Argento and shit, but, yeah. like... I mean, Still. and it's one of those movies, like, every once in a while you see a movie from the 60s or the 50s that blows your mind because it seems modern in mm. some ways. And this has some of those aspects where it doesn't, because you have an idea what movies in the 1960s were like. And a lot of movies are like that idea that you have. But some of them, the more revolutionary, the, like, really, really good ones kind of go past that and kind of make leaps into the future. And this is one that has a lot of scenes like that. I felt that there's a lot of reminiscence between this and, for instance, the Universal Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Absolutely. And I'm I'm only guessing on this. I imagine they had a fraction of the budget because it's not the Hollywood system. But man, this just pushed that past what I was expecting to see. Yeah, totally agree. This has always been considered one of the defining Italian horror films and the film that set the stage for horror uh, cinema, period, but definitely specifically Italian horror cinema to come. All right, so speaking of Italian horror cinema... We're going to move on to the film Inferno from 1980. Now, this is a a much-awaited sequel to Dario Argento's masterpiece, certainly his finest film, Suspiria. And, by the way, I said Dario Argento's Suspiria, not Luca di Guadagino's Suspiria, which I also like. Good name with that pronunciation. But <laughs> is not even close to as good as Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is, I think, maybe the defining, like, abstract horror masterpiece. Like, I, I can think of very few horror films that had as much right-now impact on the world of horror as as Suspiria did, and still is as super affecting. So, and at the time, it was a big hit. 20th Century Fox produced it. Suspiria, that is. Uh, uh, Co-produced it, released it in the States, and they did not expect it to make much money, and it made a shit ton of money, and great critical reviews, and everyone, and they were like, uh, we did not really see that. We didn't understand this movie, and so we're kind of shocked it did well. So, hey, here's some money. Make a sequel to it, Dario Argento. So he makes Inferno, which makes sense for it to have a sequel, because even from the first film, they're like, the premise is there are three witches around the world who who have great power, the witches of sorrow. And and the first one was, what was it, the uh, Suspiria? I think she's the witches witch. Witches of Size. Size, thank you. And, uh, so, like, okay, obviously there's a sequel, like, possibility for th- a trilogy here. So, Argento is kind of excited to do this film, although a little trepidatious, of course, because Suspiria was so well-regarded, and even more so over time. Uh, but at the time that he's like, how do you follow that up? Uh, and there were a lot of complications getting this movie started. A lot. And once it finally did, and he was done with it, it's listed as a 1980 film. That's not strictly speaking correct, because although the film was completed in 1980, nobody really saw it till 1985. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it. Um, Fox got it, and 
no one really knows the reasons why, but apparently because of a uh, issue with a changing heads at the studio, it just got kind of put on a shelf and sat there for five years. Like night, it wasn't until 1985 that it got any kind of proper. And it was like direct to VHS. Yeah, it was direct to VHS. It was uh, like only in Italy did it get any theatrical release when it was first made, and even then, in only a few theaters, not enough to count significantly towards any sort of budget at all. It's often forgotten about in horror history because of the fact that yeah, Fox treated it like shit. They just dumped the fucking thing. Uh, and it wasn't because they thought it wasn't a good movie. Like I said, it was just one of those shake up at the studio. They like, okay, here's the thing. We'll deal with this later. And then they just forgot about it. In their defense, it's not a good movie. I don't agree. Well, see, I, I do agree with that. I actually, okay. I think it's good. I think it's just a slightly lesser Suspiria. Like, yeah. because so, before we get started with that, though, I want to hear because <clears throat> Patience and I were on a show for Deliberation of the Doom where we talked about Suspiria. You guys were not. So I would like to hear you guys yeah. talk briefly about your feelings and impressions of Suspiria. Um, First and foremost. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since that also gives me an excuse to go use the bathroom. Call <laughs> <laughs> me first. <laughs> oh, damn it! I'm <laughs> oh, sorry because I watched it recently. Okay, yeah, okay, good. All right, so I recently watched Suspiria, and I was before I watched it, I had a filmmaker friend tell me, like, give me sort of advice about it, and he said that he's like, imagine it like it's Stanley Kubrick but cheap. And by what she was saying, that it's visually inventive and brilliant, but also the director doesn't really care about the plot or the characters that much. And watching it, I felt very much the same way, but it was so visually inventive that, like... And audibly so. And audibly inventive as well. Yes, it was was just a stunning work of art. I was a little let down because I had the impression there was eventually going to be, like, some sort of hallucinate hallucinogenic dance recital thing <laughs> which never happened so like that so it is weird that a horror movie around a ballet dance school there's never any dancing so it's kind well, of like the re- holding, watch uh, the remake for that so yeah. the remake makes good on that I promise yeah, so I was holding on for something like that and that didn't happen that let me down a little bit but mostly I think the movie is good but very slight in a way you know in the sense that it didn't care about its writing or its characters yeah I would I mean I agree with what you're saying, but I kind of disagree with the take on it, essentially. Okay. Like, I think it's one of the all-time best, like, mood-setting horrors. Like, where mm-hmm. what's more important is the tone and the feeling of the film, rather than the plot. And it's kind of like Dario Argento's best movies do that, really. They kind of strip away, like, who gives a shit about the ABCs of how we're going to get through this plot. Um, he's, there's, the character stuff, I, I think... There's a kind of a lot of characters to juggle, if I remember right. So some get short shrift, but the, your main your main girl gets a bit of a lot. But like, yeah, it's it's a mood horror. Like it's visually and sonically and everything just gets you into this space of feeling unsettled throughout. Yeah, it's a lot more reminiscent of like Cabinet of Caligari than say uh, say I mean even Frankenstein. You know, like yeah. it's, it's more about the mood and the feel yeah. than about and like, yeah. And I think that's one of the strengths is like the not being that concerned with the plot of it all. And, like, and that kind of carries through to Inferno. Like, honestly, like, I watched this movie. I didn't second screen it. I couldn't quite tell you exactly what the plot of it is. It could be the Italianness <laughs> of it all. That's true for a lot of Dario. Yeah, exactly. And, but or it's Italian something, films in general. But it adds to, like, the dreamlike feeling of a lot of his movies. It, like, stuff jumps around. And it's like a dream. Like, when, you know, you wake up from a dream and you understand what the feeling of it is. But if someone asks you to tell you, like, well, it was all of a sudden I was in my school, but then my teacher was like this, and then all of a sudden you were there, like, nothing logically makes sense. That's the perfection of Suspiria, though, is that it is 
absolutely the number one film ever in history to accomplish that feeling. Yes. Yeah. Where you walk out of it going, I'm not entirely sure what happened, but I was stuck to it the whole time, yeah. and, and it, I feel really affected yeah. by it. And I would know? say Inferno is that, like, less than, yeah. but still yeah. that. There's so. no question Inferno's not as good yeah. as yeah. Suspiria. And this has some really good sequences, though. Yeah, I'll I, say quite a bit less than, in my opinion. So I do agree with uh, the assessment of Suspiria as, like, a dreamlike state sort of situation. And Inferno felt like what Chris was just saying earlier, that uh, Argento was trepidatious about embarking on this thing with his money. And nearly every scene in that film felt like he was hesitating to me. Mm-hmm. Nearly everything. And that, that pulled me way out of it. You well, know? I think part of the problem might have been that, like, as varying reports go, Argento didn't actually film most of this movie. Uh, first off, Mario Baba, who did Black Sunday came in initially as a guy who was going to design a lot of the visual optical effects and trick shots, which he was very good at, uh, like kind of a master at that sort of thing on a low budget, and and ended up, along with his son, who was credited as uh, first assistant director, mm-hmm. directing over half of the film. because And it's not Argento's fault. He actually apparently had a really serious bout of hepatitis, so bad that some of the times he was filming, he had to be on his back. Like on a cot and telling people what to do because he was like in so much pain. Him being gurneyed around, <laughs> shouting in Italian. He actually like, later <laughs> said that he hated this movie so much just because all he could think about was how much in pain he was in yeah. because of the hepatitis. But uh, before we go any further, because people are like, well, what the fuck is this movie even about? Oh, God. Nick. Yeah, I guess we haven't done that. Nick, tell us the story of the plot. <laughs> all right. Good luck. Uh, well, <laughs> I actually I took the time to write down a little synopsis. There you go. Because it's... So it's convoluted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just looked over and there was like something written. And in my notes, I literally have plot parentheses question mark. <laughs> so I'm happy that it went to you. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So this is definitely the sequel of Suspiria. Technically, I guess. Ostensibly. I don't know. Like yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't. I don't know if Suspiria was ever meant to have a sequel. Argento described it as a tonal sequel, but but there are very specific. They make references. It's the same world. I mean, they reference the Three Mothers book in Suspiria, which we'll get into again. Mothers and Mother Tears. Yeah, I mean, like the idea there are are are, the Matter Suspirium was the one from the first one, and and, this uh, is Matra Tenabrum. Tenabrum, which I always thought was interesting that he has a totally different movie, not even connected to this, called Tenabrum, which is actually quite good. His second best film, I think. Yeah. Anyway, right, go so ahead. The, the basic synopsis, and the, I, I'm going li- to not lie to you guys, I picked this up off of IMDb, but an American college student in Rome and his sister in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where the resident uh, dresses... Wait. <laughs> Sorry. Something. So when the things things her brother wrong. and his sister in two different parts of the world. One in uh, New York, I believe, and the other one yeah. in, in Rome. In yeah. Rome, in Italy. And uh, they're both being affected by sort of supernatural situations. They try to get in contact with each other, and then it turns out it's all a coven of witches that's causing this. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. And there, uh, that's, that's, a, that, that's the basic essential plot of, of both Inferno and Mother of Tears, I think. Well, the, like, each one of these takes place in a different city, like, uh, even though they're all essentially filmed in Rome. But, um, <laughs> look, uh, what's happening Okay, uh, the first one was in, uh, Germany, Freiburg. Uh, this one is in New York. And Mother of Tears, the third film, uh, which we'll talk about in the next episode, is in Rome. Uh, is in Rome. And, I, it's weird, kind of, that like they even the plot is like well, it's just more convenient to go ahead and film to have a lot of the plot take place in Rome to begin with. 
because we're in Italy. What are you going to do? Um, but like, at least ostensibly, and some stuff was actually filmed in New York for this. That like, yes, this is the second mother, and she lives in New York, where she owns a tenement building that's really cool and looks like the Suspiria building, kind of, but not quite as cool. Yeah, it's cool. Like, answer me that that sequence where. She goes kind of underground and then underwater. That's the, underwater the best room. sequence of the entire Yeah, yeah. Show. I, I bring it because it is. Is that in the same building? Is that yeah. around the corner from the building? It's around the corner, I think. Okay. Because, I mean, that adds to, like, the dreamlike thing of this movie. Because that is a total, like, you go into a, around the corner into an alley, into a basement, and then there's an underwater room. An underwater like, ballroom. That sequence freaked me out. It is, it is, leg- I have it written down, it's, like, legitimately, like, Terrifying! It is so scary. Yeah, that and, scared the shit out of yeah. me watching it. I and was like, it, maybe it's because I really have fears of drowning. Yeah, That's a big. It's thing a lot. For me. Yeah, and in, in the classic Italian eighties fashion to get his actress in there in a white I shirt just, underwater. I, you know, I just want to say out. that <laughs> if I lost my keys in some weird pit in the basement that led to like a uh, underwater ballroom full of dead bodies, I'm calling a fucking locksmith. Well, I'm be, not going to go down there. She didn't know there were dead bodies. Taking a dip. Taking a dip is. Yeah, but I'm like, come on. You're talking like, New York alley basement water. That's why the bagels are that, so good. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why Dario Argento got hepatitis from like, you know, finding finding like, that scene. I like the th- I like it, that theory. It is odd this film starts off with like a female protagonist. And then there's another female protagonist. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like Suspiria, there's going to be another female protagonist film. And it's not till like, the, the beginning of the second act, you're like, oh, they're both dead. Yeah. And so now here's this male protagonist who we barely mentioned who is actually going to be the protagonist. Which, by the way, was originally going to be James Woods. Oh. Yeah. He was signed up James until the point where he was like, okay, they, they decided to go ahead and move on Videodrome, so I got to do that. And thank God for that. Yeah, right? because but, we hate him. Yes, but Videodrome is a video. Videodrome is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but James Woods is not. Not right. one of my favorite parts. <laughs> not long after she starts being chased by all of these. Uh, I, I mean, the plot is so not even there. So basically, she finds a book. And then she writes her brother because she suspects there's a witch in her house. And then basically every person in the whole entire vicinity of her gets chased and killed by witches or witch familiars, including the hot dog vendor. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. That hot dog vendor scene kicks so much Oh, my God. I was like, it was going. You would think that was I, I just, I was shocked by it. Like. The guy's like drowning. He's trying to kill these cats. First of all, he's, he's drowning the- cats. He's okay, drowning so- cats, and then he falls over. And he was like struggling, struggling. You see the guy recognize him, and this is this wide shot of him running all the way around. It's like oh, he's gonna get helped. And he comes over and just stabs him and right he in the head. Stabs him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a like he's like, help, help. And you're like, oh, this guy's actually coming to help. We no, never see this. In this hot dog vendor is a servant of, you know, Mater <laughs> well, Tenebro. Well, we don't know that either because there's no. Is, is there anything early in the movie that showed that he's one no, of them? No, yeah, it's so dude, random. just a cat lover. It's great. <laughs> it's <laughs> he just, great. Like, he just, no, he wants the cats to make his hot. Never mind. There's I, lots of pissed off cats. 
cats in this movie. There is so many cats. I have that written down. That scene where they're throwing live cats at the actors. They clearly are just taking cats and throwing them at an actor. I have it in my notes. I was like, do they actually have trained attack cats or are they just flinging cats? They're throwing cats. Bava, who, as I said, was the assistant director to this day, is like, I fucking hate cats. Don't even get near me with those things. Because of all the negative experiences he had with them making this movie. Oh, wow. He's like, that's enough cats for my entire life. And there are lots of cats. There's so many cats. And like the throne matter, she's just like flinging them off her shoulders, like slapping these cats. Pretty it's sure. like would not fly today. Yeah. No. Uh, well, first of all, well, this was made in Italy. And two, this was uh, 1980. I don't know. Yeah, things were a little wilder then. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. My I mean. favorite scene is where, um, I think, was it, it wasn't her boyfriend or anything, but Carlo gets stabbed, and he takes, like, 20 minutes to die on her, <laughs> and she's just, like, trying to get out from underneath the dying Carlo, and he's just, like, holding on to her, like, and you're just you like, what the God, get it's off of me, and then he's still dead, and he's still holding on to her, and she's trying to escape the person that killed him. Talk about your toxic masculinity. Yeah, I love it. He's like, if I die, you're still you're, you're coming with <laughs> yeah. me. You got me into this. I mean, there are, much like Suspiria, some deeply gory moments here, but nothing... I don't think there's anything in here that stands out the way any of the given killings in Suspiria does no. as a killing. Like, like, which I will say, actually, say what you about Mother of Tears, there are some pretty spectacular kills in there's that. Insane, that are like, Whoa! Yeah. I'm actually, I'm going to save my summary of Inferno for after we talk about Mother of Tears, because Fair I'm going to talk about them all together as one whole, as... Dario Argento's not super great movies after Suspiria. <laughs> so, interesting note, William Lustig, who is, of course, most famous for directing the really great slasher movie Maniac, was the production coordinator on this film. Oh, okay. Uh, and as well, and this didn't come out until years later, where Argento and uh, Daria Nicolodi, who, of course, is was his wife for a while, and who... To all accounts, actually wrote Suspiria. And Inferno. Well, in this, she's like, it was apparently story by, for Mm -hmm. sure. Like, she had an extensive series of story notes, and then Argento wrote out the actual dialogue and stuff. But, um, uh, what was I going to say about her shit? Oh, uh, she confirmed afterwards that the beautiful woman, like, really shockingly beautiful woman we see early in the film, who's just staring at the male protagonist in music class, Mm -hmm. was intended to be the mother of tears. The, the, um, that was supposed to do it. And you mean it, it the one with the, the cat? Like, who takes a fucking cat to music class? Yes. That's awesome. I, I, I love that, actually. I thought that was great. It was just like, all right, one of the tiny little weird notes in here is random girl in college has got a cat uh, Yeah, no. but <laughs> I just want to say that woman was actually gorgeous. She's so So hot. beautiful. She's like one of those people that you just, if you saw her on the street, you would stop and turn around like, and go yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's so pretty, but it's really kind of weird taking a cat to school. It is kind of weird taking a cat. And I'm a cat guy. Can I mention, uh, just off topic, a couple weird bits of dialogue that I really, really oh, enjoyed? Absolutely. Please do. <laughs> so I've got two that I wrote down for myself. Where one's with, in which uh, uh, one of her female characters, she's been, I don't know, walking on class or something. She's bleeding from her feet, right? And she goes into the elevator, and uh, the elevator operator says, did Madame cut herself? And she says, oh, no, no. It's paint. It's not blood. And, like, <laughs> and then his response is, would Madame mind keeping her foot paint off the elevator carpet? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And then there's there's one other one where uh, dude, this 
I didn't write down which character it was, but one of the characters is being eaten by rats. So oh, you know, that's the antique dealer guy. Okay, the antique guy, right. Yeah. So he's running around, he's screaming, help me. And then, like, a little bit later, he's like, the rats are eating me alive. And then he's like, they're really eating me. And so, like, <laughs> he needs to convince someone so, to help him after the As though part. someone was like, come on, they're not really. No, but they're not really. Let's get ice cream. This is serious. Like, <laughs> that, no, but that seriously. That reminds me of the uh, Buster Rhymes style of acting in this Halloween movie, where he's just like... I'm watching my kung fu movies here. I'm watching these movies. Who's that at my door? I'm trying to watch my movies. Let me walk over to this door and open it. Who is this at my He's door? He's narrating stuff he and, does. And this guy's just like, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. The rats, they're eating me. It's like the exact same style that, of acting. Somebody come save me. Oh, the hot dog man. Oh, shit. That is an all-time... I, I can't reiterate enough how much that hot dog man killing scene is so... Fucking good and funny. <laughs> really? And, like, scary. Yeah, I love I that. like the culmination with that being the case, but the rest of that scene is awkward. I agree and, with like, Chris. Like, we're going to watch a scene about a guy drowning a bag full of cats and then he's attacked <laughs> in a really not well filmed series. No, it's robotic. Like, coming in and peeling off his skin and stuff, and you're like, and it goes on so long. Like, Holy yeah, shit. but like, as a short film, I could totally see it like on Mr. Show or, yeah. or Tim and Eric or something. Like, it's. Perfectly, it's like really weirdly edited and weirdly shot, and it has an incredible punchline within the context of the movie. It's not great, but it has like its own little like four minute short film. It's really funny. So I have a weird thing to say about that scene because when I was doing research for this, I kept seeing references to that scene saying, "Oh, they created a plexiglass bridge under the yeah, water, so that the, the hot dog guy could run across the water." I was like, "Did it come across at all that the idea nope. that he was walking on nope. water?" Because I saw. It looked like he was just walking on the shore to me. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was walking like on the shallow end of yeah, the water. Yeah, no, it was supposed along. to portray yeah. him walking on water because he That's was... That's bad, because that would have been cool. Yeah. But it didn't come across, and I mean, like, uh, Dario Argento from his gurney spent a really long time, you know, making this plexiglass bridge <laughs> to make this whole effect, or maybe one of his, you know, underlings, but still, it did not come across that he was walking. I don't, th- I don't think it did at all, which would have been much cooler if they had had it where, like, the guy strode slowly across the lake towards him during the whole yeah, scene. Yeah, like, more ethereal, or, yeah. It would have like, been, been scary. As it is, it's kind of a funny joke but, that you think this guy's coming to save him, yeah. and then he just cuts his head off. It is. Like, it works so much so well as comedy. Yeah. He, That's true. It's almost like they edit it, like this, they ramp it up, because the way he runs over, it almost looks like Benny Hill-like. He's like, look, 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 like running over there. It's it's a really weird scene. I, I mean, to be honest, I just really disliked this movie, but I didn't dislike it as much as I disliked witchery. <laughs> we'll get into that next, <laughs> yeah. but one last thing. I want to say, I did. I don't dislike Inferno. I think, it, at worst, it's a disappointing sequel to Suspiria, and it drags at points. It no is. Question. There's some long periods But of that boredom. opening sequence with the girl going in, into the basement of the antique shop and going underwater is one of my That's favorite Argento best. scenes like, yeah, from any really movie. It's but so it goes good. really downhill from there, and, and, it does. and it doesn't really have a plot. It's just these There's, random sequences, events with random shots of weird shit in between. Like lizards eating things and flowers blooming, and you're just like, what it's, is there's going a certain on amount of right like, now? Look, I'm being abstract and surreal, and I think part of that was Argento reacting to a very strong, like a positive reaction to Suspiria by the surrealists art movement who were like, mm-hmm. we considered this to be a surrealist film and a movie that people who are into surrealist, like the surrealist moment movement should watch. And I felt like to some degree he was reacting to that by trying to insert more surrealist abstract imagery. 
but that felt very kind of non sequiturish, quite inorganic frankly. almost. Yeah, it's a, bit, a little bit like uh, if you watch the first season of Twin Peaks and then the first half of the second season, where it's directed by someone other than David Lynch, right. and you're like, they're trying to be David Lynch, mm-hmm. but not getting it. But it's it. not getting it. Sort yeah. of. What, I wouldn't call the quality dip that that up brutal, but I, I do. <laughs> it's ex- you're exactly right. But that's a good. Um, analogy there. Well, our fourth and final film for this first episode of Witches is Witchery, also known as La Casa 4, also <laughs> known as Witchcraft, also known as Ghost House 2, also known as Baywatch as, Zero. As, 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 <laughs> Baywatch Zero. as the unofficial sequel to Evil Dead. Sequel. Second sequel to the Evil Dead. Well, actually, technically third, because Evil Dead 1 and 2 had both come out in Italy to great success, although they were called La Casa and La Casa 2. Uh, the first movie, Ghost House, that, that Italy had produced was called La Casa 3 when it was released there. And this, although there's no connection to either Evil Dead or even the previous movie, Ghost House, is called La Casa 4. Once again, this is the thing the Italians are known for doing. There's like 12 demons movies yeah. or something, but yeah. none of them have, they're not, none of them were originally called demons. They were like, let's just call it demons because people like demons. <laughs> again, only insane. something that Joe Bob Briggs can define for you because he has it all mapped out. All right, so I'll be honest. When I was looking around, this is on me. All right, I was looking. <laughs> I, was lo- I was looking for someone to blame. I was so looking I around. Go, I like the idea that like every time we do one of these, we pick one movie that none of us have seen that sounds like, it's probably going to be horrible, but you never know that has some defining quality about it. That's like okay, I got to admit that kind of makes me want to see it. And in this particular one, it's the presence of David Hasselhoff. And the fact this was stamped with an Evil Dead title. I was like, okay, both those things together. And, and we Blair. all agreed. And, and Linda Blair. And Linda Blair. And we all agreed, like, yeah, let's watch the David Hasselhoff movie, because it's going to be great. He is honestly the best. fun. He's the best thing in it. He's literally the best thing in it. He's trying so hard, he thinks Coppola is directing. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? Why are you trying so hard? But, Alan, it's your turn. Give us the plot of oh, Witcher. Oh, shit. Why did you throw Alan under the bus? Uh, right? Oh, oh, somebody's go. got to get thrown Nick, Nick just is like, here, here you go, brother. I love it. All right, so when a storm strands a group on a Massachusetts island where the only dwelling is an old hotel supposedly haunted by the ghost of a former German actress, the result is the, sta- <laughs> is the standard horror film as each of the cast is picked off one by one. And this German actress was supposedly a witch. Well, even the, movie. even the IMDb synopsis shits on this movie. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's well deserved. Oh, well, by the way, I'll have you know, I love you guys. I paid eighteen bucks for a Blu-ray oh, of Ghost much. House and the Witchery because I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, I hope the Ghost House is good. No, I, I haven't seen it. Yet. Yeah, I've heard it's not. Yeah, but oh well. So I just uh, so Chris paid eighteen dollars for this episode. I did. I paid an hour and a half of my time. Seriously, that I can never get back. Like last Sunday, Chris was like, "Hey, you want to come over and watch Witchery?" And I dragged Carl shot Lois along. We come over. We're sober, by the way, which is unusual for even us. We should have been less. We should have been less sober watching the Witchery. And when we left, it was, like, so awkward. We were just like, yeah, I'll see you when I see you. It's a movie so bad that it makes you, like, mad you hung out with your friend. Yeah, exactly. Watching this movie with people feels like you just had really bad sex with Exactly. Somebody. And you're like, okay. Uh, well, so should we... I mean, I guess, like, should we shake hands or hug? Yeah, like, it happens to a lot of guys, you know? And sometimes you pick, you know, oh, it's fine. hungover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will... I'm trying to think of some positives to say. The okay. gore 
is kind of fun in the low, low rent way. Real like, low rent, but it's but effective. it's kind of fun if like you imagine they only had twenty dollars to do it. <laughs> right. It made me laugh the way that this is clearly this actually beautiful, beautiful fucking place, and they went to so much and this shutter is slightly askew. <laughs> look, yeah. it's all burned out. No, oh so, look, yeah. we can. It's going to cost us so much money to redo this beautiful house because mm-hmm. the paint is. Not it's yeah. not well enough. <laughs> this seaside mansion, oh my god, it's so like it's falling apart. This it's, one shutter is <laughs> like half. It's, it's yeah. really one of my favorite like, moments is uh, like a dark music sting when the the boat captain takes a drink of whiskey and it's like dun dun dun. It's like music stings Oh, someone's drinking. We know what that means. It means patience is there. Plus, every every like fifteen minutes when people would be thrown into a witch's vortex. I don't know exactly what's happening. Oh my god! There was this like I was describing this like they're thrown by Satan into the opening titles of seventies Doctor Who credits. I saw one of those. I'm like, why couldn't you just lay your actor down and have them look up at the camera? Right? So like, they're not just standing in front of this vortex and like being cut off by the bottom of the frame. It's, like, it doesn't make a bit of sense. It's really good. It's, I mean, you know, you know, you know, you know that a movie is really, really bad when literally the best acting is being delivered by. David Hasselhoff. He's trying so hard. He is actually really good. There's a, scene, there's a scene where he's trying to amuse this kid and he does a bunch of impressions and you're like, wow, David Hasselhoff, you're not bad at impressions. And then you're like, wait a minute, what am I doing? You can see why he's like a charismatic, he's like a star. Not necessarily an actor, right. but like he's a star. Like he, he's fun to look at on the on no, screen. There's no yeah. question that David Hasselhoff is extremely charismatic. Yeah. That he is very much a personality, and he's <laughs> a fun guy to watch. He's not a great actor, no. but he's also not an actor who's so bad that you go, "Oh my god, you're terrible." Yeah, yeah. You're like, "No, you're fine. You're a television quality actor. You're a guy we could watch." However many seasons it was of Night Rider, more elevated than everyone else in this movie. I yeah. mean, exactly. that's what Even I was going to say. Blair I was just about to say that yeah. Linda Blair phones the shit in like oh, she, she is terrible. And then you know what? Really, it's who plays his girlfriend? What's Catherine Hickland plays Linda Sullivan, his girlfriend? She is like, I'm feeling like I have thing. I'm studying German witches. This feels like they actually hired like, his girlfriend, like his a, yeah, actual real life girlfriend. girlfriend. Like that was the shit. deal. Like, oh well, I'll be in your movie, but you got to hire my girlfriend who. Literally, not only has no acting experience, but is unclear on what the word means. <laughs> I'm not catching the kid, right? This got to be like someone's yeah. son or something. Yeah, who oh, is yeah. also not. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he was written in the script to be you mentally know, challenged it, by it, any means. It but. feels like yeah. he can't even act like a kid. It's like, it's like they got like an incredibly really good like method actor to totally play a child. <laughs> like, it's like it's so weird. Like, it's, 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 such an awkward performance. But you know who the winner, winning performance was for me was the Sesame Street, like you know, recording device. That that's what. Oh, yeah, that was kid, it. The kids that got was the winner. Sesame Street, like like like, like a tape like, recorder. Yeah. That you're like, I wonder if this will play into the plot at some point. <laughs> you mean they you show it so much? I'm like, did Sesame Street pay you? Of yeah. course they didn't. And at the beginning uh, of the movie, where he repeats, I love you into it twenty times. I love you, Jane. I love you, Jane. I love you, Jane. 
Yeah. Having, I'm sorry. Having said all this about this awful movie, it does have one of the all-time abrupt funniest endings of a movie <laughs> I can remember in a really long time. I'm pregnant and going to throw myself out the window. Like, well, well, you see that coming the whole time. Yeah. But yeah, the ending on that, well, like, it does have also a fairly disturbing rape scene in it. Because it's like done by a demon and it's really hokey and cheap looking, which makes it kind of funny, which makes it even more disturbing. Oh, yeah, there's I lots of like tits in this. It's a really yeah. weird scene. But that, at the end of this movie, when everything's wrapped up and your survivor's there and the doctor says something's like, you and the baby are going to be fine. And the actress turns and awkwardly says, baby? Credits. Yeah. <laughs> so, so good. Okay. It's the only part where it's, they exercise restraint or taste. Uh, at all. <laughs> and it's, it's not worth watching the whole movie for, but that ending is... So one thing that kept came, coming up when we were watching this is, like, so it's a, it's actually a little while before they really get into here's lots of nudity, and then from then on there's lots of nudity. Yeah. But the lead actress, which is actress with quotes around, because Catherine Hickland, oh, but for fuck's sakes, how did you have a career on any level? <laughs> uh... She, when she gets naked and she continues to be for a lot of the rest of the movie, has the puffiest fucking nipples I've ever seen. Oh my in god! Life. I'm well, sorry. Ariola, she like, the one seriously, like, she I was practically screaming. I was like, like oh my god! Crap. There's something wrong with her nipples. <laughs> she got collagen injections in them or something. You're just like, what is they going on? They were some of the more wild on-screen breasts that I've seen in a while. <laughs> and that's like an Italian, I guess. Like, I, I you don't. Pos- Movies always like try to get the picture perfect breasts to show you in movies. Well, yeah. So we're conditioned to think this is what boobs look like. And I kind of liked it. I was like, oh, look at this. Uh, this is the type of boob I don't see often. Uh, you know, like, you know, it's a lot more like my boobs than, <laughs> than I normally see. Yeah, I, I, I kind of dug it. So you guys are like, this is what I see in the mirror every day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm completely okay with for. this. Uh, patients <laughs> ever just literally grabbing No, I was just like, no, I'm with. sorry, but her areoli were like. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were like mosquito you bites. You can bad acting. You cannot blame her for Areola. <laughs> no, you can't. Okay, blame. that's a good point. You can blame that's the director point. for choosing to not that's have a body point. double. No, that's true. That's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's just like. And uh, I know this is really super It's weird petty. to comment on, but it's worth commenting on because it is. It's, it's really it's distracting. It's different. You don't see it often. By the way, we credited the wrong person. It wasn't Catherine Hicklin. It was Leslie Cumming. Oh, oh no. that's a lawsuit. Okay. Catherine so, Hicklin, your Ariel is a Catherine Hicklin has actually went on to have a successful career. What? Oh, is that the witch? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, whoever played the witch really need a makeup t- tutorial because her, like, seriously, like her make. Hildegard I, I Neff. Hildegard. Hildegard Frida Albertine Neff. That's an incredible name. Yeah, it really is. I kind of <laughs> want that name. <laughs> yeah. She was in a lot of stuff. She was a famous singer as well. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Not at the period this movie Yeah, this movie was the, that was like the end of her life, downfall of her career. I mean, I realize that there may be contentious like feelings about this, but I seriously sure think this isn't. is the worst film we've watched for Deliberations of Doom. Definitely the worst one for me now, I think. Uh, it was a rough... Well, the thing is... Yeah, I know. It was rough. It was boring. The ending is... I laughed out loud. I rewound it, like, twice, maybe, just to make sure I didn't miss some sort of thing that happened there. Mm-hmm. But it's not worth watching an hour and a half of it for that point. <laughs> like, if you YouTube the ending of the movie and understand there's a bunch of, like, bullshit that happens before this... And you still probably get the punch of it, but it's you probably really guess bad. everything that happened up to that point. If you start with like Linda Blair going Exorcist voice and move on from yeah. there, you pretty I, much got everything. I could only happen. recommend it to like 
hardcore Hasselhoff completist. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you must see everything Hasselhoff has been in. Okay, so in the, in, the ha- in the Hasselhoff completist uh, journal, you know, diary, we have the him being drunk eating a hamburger, <laughs> and then we have the witchery underneath that. Under, yeah. Right oh, yeah. underneath yeah. that. Yeah. It's the bottom of the list, but if you have that, to see The Hasselhoff I can has cheeseburger video. <laughs> 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 Watch uh, that instead. I, I, I mean, there's a certain degree of entertainment from this, just no. from like just how bafflingly terrible this is. Mm. But it is one of those like, man, if this just if somebody made like a 40 minute version of this, yeah, like just cut out tons of bu- unnecessary bullshit in the middle and just was like, let's just go right to the the, the the actual stuff and not the characters walking around trying to pretend like they actually have anything to say. Yeah. Uh, then this would be at least watchable on a sort of bad movie night sort of way. What I'd like to see even more is just a supercut of every time Hasselhoff tells his girlfriend that she reads too much. <laughs> that. Or that she needs to stop being a virgin and it's weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Those I forgot about so weird. He's like, you know how weird it is that you're a virgin? <laughs> She's like, stop, stop. I was like, how are you guys even dating? Yeah, he's, he tries to just kiss her and she's like, stop, stop. And you're like... so clearly like 30 what? years older than her. Yeah. And they also make a point of saying she's not religious. So I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> it's a weird... It it's doesn't a- make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? Actually, I would love to re-edit this movie and just take like one second from every scene. Make like a six minute <laughs> super cut. That would be very funny. <laughs> I'm going to get on this. All right. Well, that... Uh, brings us to the end of the first episode of our Deliberation of Doom Witches. We'll be, be back in a week with our take on 1996's The Craft. Oh, yeah. Featuring Feruza Balk and many other well-known actresses. The Mother of Tears, the third film in the Suspiria trilogy, which came out in 2007. Which I'm going to say right now. I had always heard this was like the worst piece of shit ever, and I thought it was actually not too terrible. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was actually not bad. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi's deeply underrated by horror fans uh, 2009 film Drag Me to Hell, which the critics love, but horror fans were really hard on well, for they're some stupid. reason. And 2013's Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. The classic. Which I, I'll tell you, I hated when it came out, but rewatching it, I was like, what did I hate about this? This oh, is really I'm fun. Gonna oh, you guys. I'm so happy to hear this. I can't wait. <laughs> Mick is so ready to do battle right now. You have no idea. He's bro- Hansu? He's brought out his, his enchanted Gatlin gun. For the- <laughs>